Who's ready for the word this morning? I believe you're asleep. Look at your neighbor and say, wake up. Who's ready for the word this morning? Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 today. As you're turning, I want to say thank you for your faithfulness with your tithes and your offering and your giving each and every week. You allow us to do incredible things, not only on Sunday, but throughout the week and around the world. And if you'd like to be a part of what God is doing through our giving, our ushers will be at the door as you leave today. You can fill out an envelope. You can text to give. You can uh, go online, LegacyRome.com. Use your app, however you give. I just want you to know I'm so thankful that you're a part of what God is doing through our offering this morning. (coughs) Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 this morning. I will be ending the sermon with this, but I'm starting with it right now. And it says, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told them all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. And they arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And when the day was not far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves some bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they found out, they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and fifties. And he had taken the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and they were filled. It's one thing to live the life, but you can't live the life that we don't have. We can't live what we don't have. And today I want to talk about the whole life and what God wants for us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you today for your goodness and your mercy. Lord, I thank you today, Lord, for being in this place, for your presence that we have already felt. Lord, I pray that this morning as the word goes forth, Lord, that our hearts are ready to receive it. Lord, I declare anything that may be fighting for our attention right now, Lord, we just lay those things at your feet. Lord, and we lock our eyes on you. We, 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 we lock our ears to your voice today. And we say, speak for your servant is listening. 
speak to us today that it may it may ignite a fire in us it may it may ignite a passion in us speak to us today oh god and we give you the honor and the glory and all of the praise and the church said amen amen and amen leaders are learners leaders people who want to lead you cannot lead past where you are it's hard to lead people in places that you have never been. And leaders understand that if they want to expand their leadership, they must also be a learner. The Bible says that knowledge puffs one up. And so many times we read that with a negative bend to it. But knowledge puffs you up. It increases your capacity. And where knowledge makes one arrogant is when all you have is knowledge, but you do not have an encounter or an experience to back it up. I was looking, uh, I was on um, my computer this week and an article came across my, uh, my feed and it was an article about art. And if you know me, I'm not an artsy guy. It's not something that I really enjoy. I'm not one of those people who could walk through an art gallery and is going to stand there and look at it sideways and, and tell you what the artist is trying to say. That's not my gifting. And I was, but I was reading this, and this piece was very interesting because it was talking about the power of contrast. It was stating that the key behind wonderful art is when the artist knows how to create contrast. Contrast is used to create great art because without contrast, everything would be the same. Without contrast, there would really be no clarity. Without contrast, there would be no definition. And an artist knows that if I want this piece to be the best that it can be, if I want to capture uh, the customer's attention, I've got to create some contrast. And I was thinking while reading, isn't that just how our God works in life? Whenever you come into relationship with him, he starts to create contrast. When you get saved and you come into this faith, Everything in your life was crazy, it was murky, it was dark. But all of a sudden, when God gets in your life, God starts moving and he creates contrast. Isn't it funny that whenever you got saved, all of a sudden, the people that you thought were in your corner... It was contrast. Anybody ever been there? The people that you thought were your ride or your die, the relationship that you were in and you thought it was going to be amazing, all of a sudden God comes in and you see contrast, but then God starts to move and creates this contrast and you get some clarity. And the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit begins to breathe upon you uh, and that circle that you've been running with for 10, 15 years, one day you walk in and you begin to look around and you realize, I don't belong with these people. Why? Because God is creating some contrast. That's why Satan loves to keep you in the dark. 
That's why Satan loves to create a lack of unity in, in a body, uh, in a nation. He loves to keep the waters dark and muddy so that you cannot see, so that there is no clarity, so that the earth, uh, so that the earth will be confused with it. And, 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 and we see this model because God has been doing this since the very beginning of time. In the book of Genesis, it says that in the beginning, uh, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. In other words, there was no clarity. When you looked at it, you could not tell where the land started and the water started. There was, there, it, it was dark and, 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 and the earth seemed somewhat to be confused. And before anything was created, before anything was formed from the dirt, here comes God and he steps out one day and he says, let there be light. Let there be contrast. Because God knew that before I can bring order, before I can bring clarity, there's got to be some contrast. And there are so many people in the room right here this morning. You are contemplating walking away from the faith. You may be contemplating quitting in this season of life because, because whenever you got saved, everything went crazy. Anybody ever been there? You got saved and all of a sudden you experience warfare. All of a sudden you get saved and it feels like all hell is breaking loose. But instead of quitting, you should actually be praising God. You should be actually running around doing a Jericho march around this room today and shouting. Why? Because contrast has come. And if you ever get contrast, you'll get clarity. And if you ever get clarity, you'll start seeing the light. In other words, you're going to know who to date now. You're going to know you're going to know what job to take. You're going to know where you should go to school. You're going to know which house you should buy, where you need to be because of contrast. And I know you've been running from the contrast, but somebody ought to praise the Lord with me this morning for the contrast that created the conflict that's about to bring you life. See, this contrast not only shows you what you need to have in your life, but it, also, but it also will show you what you need to get out of your life. What you need to prune. Holiness. We don't like the word holiness because it rubs us wrong. We don't like to preach on holiness because we are in a corrupt world. And whenever you start preaching holiness, it starts stepping on people's toes. <laughs> whenever you start preaching holiness, a lot of times people start thinking about a style of dress or your hair has to be so long. But holiness is not in the dress. The holiness is in your heart. And God, whenever God begins to create contrast, he is doing it to show you what you not only need in your life, but what you need to get out of your life. God said, let there be light. Let there be some contrast. Let there be contrast. And when God begins to work in your life, Contrast often looks like separation. Contrast will look like separation. After he spoke light, after he spoke contrast, he then said, let this go there and that will go there. Land here and scatter. He begins to separate. Cause 
That's what God does when he gets into your life. He begins to organize your life according to his word. And so often we will wonder, what happened to me? I got saved. I got filled with the spirit. And all of a sudden, all hell has broken loose in my life. I went down to the altar and I cried. And guess what? I get up and it's like hell broke loose. I didn't sign up for this, Lord. Has anybody ever said that? I didn't sign up for this, Lord. Lord, if I knew it was going to be like this, I would have just stayed in the bar. Everybody was my friend when I was in the bar. Lord, if I knew it was going to be like this, I would have just stayed in my old life. But what the bride has got to realize is, is that it's not going crazy. It's just finally coming into order. And somebody ought to thank God right now because it looks like chaos on earth, but it's coming together in the heavens this morning. It looks like it's going to take you out, but this contrast, God is using it to turn it around for your good because it's coming into order. Come on, I want to declare this over this house today. It's coming into order. I want to declare it over your house. It's coming into order. My finances are coming into order. My mind is coming into order. My children, somebody ought to thank God they're coming into order. My family's coming into order thank God for contrast and thank God for separation see a lot of people can't praise God in this moment when I'm preaching about this because I've come to realize that a lot of people not only in the world but also in the church they can't praise God in moments like this because there's too many people that like chaos (laughs) y'all quiet this morning Too many people, being busy has become your status. It's become a trophy. To some, being in this constant chaos, you actually kind of like it. And you like the constant chaos of juggling all the sports and juggling all all of the schedules and juggling this and juggling. You actually kind of like chaos because the chaos has given you permission to behave however you desire. I'm preaching better than y'all acting this morning. Somebody turn on the hallelujah track for me. I said, so many of us like being busy because that means that we don't have to come to Saturday prayer. Woo, it's getting deep in here this morning. That means, that means if I'm so busy, that means, that means I don't have to read. That means I can do whatever. That, that, if, if I'm so busy, Lord, you know, I've got this practice Monday through Friday for two hours. And then Junior's got this practice Monday through Friday. Lord, help. If, I mean, that, that, that service that's an hour and a half on Sunday, it's going to throw my world a loop. And we've begun to like the chaos because it's given us permission to behave however we desire. See, some of us have been in chaos for so long that we think that it's normal. We, we just started saying, this is normal. You think that having confusion and chaos is just how we do it. It's the new norm. I mean... That's the way it was for granny. That's the way it was for mama. That's the way it was for daddy. You know, divorce runs in my family, so I'm just sitting here waiting. 
for my turn. Mental illness runs in my family, so I'm sitting here. I'm just waiting for chaos because I know any day now I'm going to have a mental breakdown. But you've got to understand that God did not create you and know you inside of your mother's womb so that you could live in constant chaos. He did not know you in your mother's womb so you could live in addiction, so that you could live under the curse of this land. No, the word says that he came so that you may have life and have it more abundantly and when the world looks at the bride when the world looks at the church they should see something in your life that they want I see the peace that's what I want I want to live in peace like that I want to live in unity like they live in it I want that joy unspeakable how in the world can you have joy how in the world can you walk in a room and be smiling after all of the stuff you've been with why it's because I've got life and I have it more abundantly I want to talk to some people this morning you've got to quit thinking that this junk is normal amen This is not normal. Normal is being able to lay your head down at night and sleep for seven to eight hours. That's normal. Normal is being able to read your word and it renews your mind. That's normal. Normal is is, is getting around a table with your family every night and eating dinner around the table. God did not create. God did not create chaos and busyness so that you could not experience these things. We've become too okay with chaos. We've become too okay with messed up homes. We've become too okay with Christian marriages failing at the same rate as marriages of the world. We've become too okay with mass murders. We've become too okay with secular agendas. Those things aren't normal. And now we, the bride, we've got to get the kingdom of God back into the earth. I'm going to say that again. We, the bride of Christ, have got to get the kingdom of God back into the earth. The kingdom has got to come again because it's a kingdom of righteousness. It's a kingdom of joy. It's a kingdom of peace. And I want to declare today over this house, the kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. Come on. Can we declare that today? Come on. I want you to say it with me. Say, here comes the kingdom. Come on. Here comes the kingdom. It's going to be a kingdom that brings healing to your body. It's going to be a a kingdom that brings peace to your mind. It's going to be a kingdom that brings wholeness into your house. Here comes the kingdom. Because when God shows up, he separates stuff. But fret not. Because he begins by separating only so that he can add. (laughs) There's the water, there's the sky, there's the land. But I'm doing this so I can add. And now that I have the sky, there's the birds. And now that I have the water, there's the fish. He separates just so that he can add because God isn't going to add blessing and favor to your drama. Y'all are quiet today. I must have some drama queens in the house. I said, 
He's not going to add blessing and favor to your drama. Because sometimes when God is blessing your life, the chaos will hide the blessing. And now that we have separation, he said, I can start adding. There's the birds. There's the animal. And he would have never added until he separated. And he did all of these things, and it led to rest. He wants you to be able to rest. Say amen to that one. He wants you to be able to rest. Not be lazy. We got enough of that. He wants you to be able to rest. Because there's a difference between being tired and being empty. There's a difference in being tired and being empty. You can be victorious and still be tired. But it's really hard to be victorious when you are empty. Listen, the earth in the beginning, it wasn't tired. It was void and empty. Empty is an enemy of Satan. It's an enemy that Satan has put in your path. Temptation comes to those that are empty. You will fall whenever you get empty. You will sell your birthright just for a little bit of stew. You will sell off your future whenever you get empty. And when you are empty, it's like when your checking account is empty. It's silent in here. Anybody ever had that experience? When you go and there's no money for you to go and you're not paying your bills. And what happens? The debt collectors will come and they will take what you thought was your possessions because your account is on empty. And whenever you are on empty is the exact time when Satan walks in your house and steals what God has been adding because you are empty. And get this, living your best life it's this phrase, but let me tell you what living your best life looks like. Living your best life looks like when you are walking through hell, but still can rest. Whenever you can lay your head down at night and say, isn't the Lord good? I know it's been hell all around me. Oh, but isn't the, that is living your best life. And on the seventh day he rested. He's saying, I will come in. I will separate so that I can add. And I do this so you can get to a place of rest. This is, he said, this is how I'm going to operate and in this order. I'm going to separate. I'm going to add. And then you're going to experience rest. I'm going to separate. I'm going to add. And you're going to experience some rest. Because you really can't live well if you aren't resting well. He did not come so that you could just live and have no rest. And here we are in Genesis. And this text is in Mark. And we see this same <coughs> process happening from the beginning of time all the way through the Gospels. And he comes and he steps into this place where the people are existing but they're not living. 
You walk through life every day with people that are existing, but they're really not living. There are a lot of churches all across the city and the land today. They are existing, but they're not living. And he walks among the people. They have followed him and they've tried to find life. And the first thing that he did, the word said, is that he led them out. He led them to a different place. Because real life begins when you let him lead you out. Your real life doesn't begin until you let the Lord lead you. Can anyone testify that my life didn't really get started until I let him lead me out? Until I let him lead me out of the depression? Until I let him lead me out of the lies that I had believed? He led them out, separation. And he was trying to give them a life. But they couldn't get a new life until they allowed him to separate them from where they were. And he's pulling them and he's leading them just like he does with us. He's pulling and he's tugging. But they would not let go because they were still attached. Uh, you look, we're sitting here and, 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 and we pray and we feel the Lord's tugging. And it's like, Lord, I want my new life, but I don't want to let go of that life. Sometimes you don't need deliverance. You just need to let go. I want my new life, but I don't want to let go of that one. Listen, you cannot grab a hold of the new when you're hanging on to the old. You cannot grab hold of what you're next while you're hanging on to what was because there's just something about putting your hand in the hand of the Lord and saying, Lord, lead me. In John 6, this same story is written again. And John 6 describes Jesus leading these people to a mountain. So here he is. He's not only leading them out, but he's leading them up. And he looks at the multitude as he's on this mountain and he's looking down on them. And he looks at them and, 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 and the word says that Jesus' POV, that his point of view, they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were existing, but not really living. They were walking, yet they were wandering. And this is where so many are. They are existing but they really are not living life. He brought them out. He brought them up and looked at them and he was saying, I did this because you weren't living the way you were supposed to be living. He pulled them up so they could finally have a different perspective. And he pulled them up and he said, now that we've got this revelation, he said, I'm going to add something to you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to feed you. Now that you have separated yourself, now that I'm leading you, now that you've got this new perspective, I'm going to feed you something that you've never had before. I'm going to feed you in a way that you've never imagined. I'm going to give you an encounter that thousands of years after this, there's going to be people in Rome, Georgia, talking about this story. He said, now that I'm leading you and I've separated you, I'm going to fill you, I'm going to add to you. And get this, Jesus looks at Philip and asks, well, I know I just told him I could feed all of them. How much food do we got? Have you ever spoken too soon? 
I got some liars in the house today. <laughs> You're like, I should have never told them I would do that. Jesus is here, and he's like, sure, I'll feed them. How much food do we got? Philip, count. Philip's over here. One, two, three, four, five. One, two. One, two, three, four, five. One, two. One, two, three, four, five. One, two. And Philip turns around and pretty much says, uh, boss, we don't have enough. Get this. Real living begins when you realize you're not enough. When you realize you are not enough, it's a revelation. And we are in a time right now where we are telling you are enough. You are enough. No, you ain't. Talk to them in southern dialect. No, you ain't. You're enough, and you're enough, and you're enough. There's children's books. You're enough. You're enough. I get what they're trying to say, but we are teaching a generation that you don't have to depend on the Lord. You're enough. You're enough. You're enough. You're enough. You're enough. And, 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 and here we realize, no, you're not enough. And you've got to realize that God will lead us to places where, we, where he will make us take inventory and realize, I'm not enough. Real life begins when you realize you're not all that. And God leads us to places where we get to realize because it's become almost toxic. Lord, help me. This... This feminist movement, help me, is almost toxic because it's teaching women to be a man. God didn't create you that way, He created male and female. Because you need each other. And now women are like, I don't need a man. And the men are like, well, I don't need women. No, you do. That's the way God created us. And now I don't need that. So I need something like myself. And now we have a homosexual agenda. Do you see this ball, this snowball? It's quiet in here, but I'm just, I'm just speaking some truth to you today. And here we are saying, you're enough and I don't need that. And independence, it's great for a nation. But you've got to understand, the kingdom of God is not about independence. It's about dependence upon God. Because I've got God, I've got everything. Because I've got God, I've got joy. Because I've got God, I've got peace. I've got a sound mind. And we've been taught you are enough. No, we are not. You're not enough. So I came to church to be encouraged today. Let me encourage you. You are not enough. You're not enough to make your marriage work. I don't care if you do have a degree in psychology. You are not enough. Your marriage needs Jesus. 
You're not enough to make your house work. Your house needs Jesus. You're not enough to be the star parent that you're trying to be. You need Jesus. Come on, can you just say it? I'm not enough. Say it. Say it again. I'm not enough. You should feel a weight coming off your shoulders right now knowing that I don't have to be everything to every person because I am not enough. I'm not enough. Chase Holsenback is not enough. And so often we put people on pedestals because we think they're it. And when a man of God or woman of God fails, we fail with them and we run off the deep end. But what happened is in real life, that man or woman started thinking, I am enough. I don't have to pray anymore because I preach. (laughs) I don't have to pay tithes because I go to church every Sunday and I serve. I'm stepping on something that I feel, I feel pushed back here. But I feel like there's a breakthrough in the house this morning. I don't have to do that. No, you're not enough. And you still need Jesus. I'm not enough. You should feel that way. Because if you ever get in a relationship and they say to you, you're my everything. Ryan. <laughs> Look at them and say, honey, thank you. But the devil is a liar. <laughs> you don't want to be somebody's everything. Because if you're somebody's everything, that means they're not trusting in Jesus. They got more trust in you than they do the Lord. Oh, I don't know why it's so quiet in here, but I'm starting to like it. I'm not your everything. This, get this. I was designed. God, when God designed me in my mother's womb, he designed me to not be enough. Isn't that funny? You thought you were, you thought that baby was a masterpiece. No, he, I was designed to be not enough, so I will depend on his more than enough. Band, help me out. Jesus takes, (laughs) Philip's over here, one, two, three, four, five. One, two. Mm. One, two, three, four, five. One, two. One, two, three, four, five. We ain't got enough. Jesus, give it to me. Jesus takes five loaves and two fish. You don't need all these rewards that these graduates had to be able to do the math. He takes these seven items, the number of wholeness. Why? Why? Because God doesn't want half of you. He wants the whole you. He wants to be the one to complete you. The disciples said, we can go take our money and we can buy it. He said, no, let me. Because I want to be the one that makes them whole. I want to be the one that completes them. He takes these these seven things. See, everything that God is separating from you, everything that God is adding to you, it's to make you whole. 
God, but to make me whole. Quit taking this stuff away. No, 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 you don't understand. It's the principle of the kingdom. You can't be whole living like you've been living. He's taking some things from you. See, this is why you shouldn't take worship lightly. This is why you shouldn't take services like like this lightly in this moment because you never know when the seventh has arrived. You never know when the seven is in the room because all week long you've been walking in the six just short. Six is the number of mankind. You've been walking in the flesh all week long but whenever you start believing and you start trusting and you come to the realization I may be a, I'm just a man but I'm not enough. You never know when you're stepping into the seventh. You never know when you're stepping into the miracle. You'll never know when you're stepping into the wholeness. You never know when God is taking you who is not enough and making you whole. Because God desires for his church to live as the whole you. He don't want you to be walking around half full. He wants you, he wants to feed you. He wants to fill you. And that's what we're talking about next week, being filled with the Holy Spirit, because there's something different from feeling the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen, church? The deepest, darkest sinner can feel the Holy Spirit. That's how they get to the cross. The Spirit said, come. Conviction. Those little goosebumps that you feel. That's the Spirit. He's speaking to you saying, come, come, come. But there's something different whenever he says, no, now that you've separated yourself, I want to feed you. I want to fill you up. He don't want you to be walking around like a sheep without a shepherd. Existing, but not really living. He don't want you to be walking around no, he wants you to be walking around dependent on him. Every step I take, Lord, I'm walking with you. Lord, I can't make it tomorrow without you, Lord. I'm dependent upon you. Lord, my marriage is not going to make it. He may be the man of my dreams. He may, have the, he may have the right job. He may have the right car. She may have everything. She's got the weave. She's got the shoes. I mean, she's got it all. She's the total package. But guess what? Guess what, Lord? I still need you to make this thing work. He wants you to be dependent on. He wants you to be walking around, not, 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 not just existing, but full of life. That means you have full, that, that you are full of authority. That whenever Satan steps in your path, you don't start crying, but you look at him and say, get behind me, Satan. You put your foot on his, on his dirty little neck. You say, not today. He wants you walking around full of the Holy Ghost. He wants you walking around praying in the spirit and in truth. He wants you to walk around knowing who you are. He wants you to be whole. But first, there's got to be some contrast. You seeing the light. I saw the light. He wants you to see the contrast because he's trying to make a masterpiece. 
but it takes contrast. That leads to separation, but that leads to addition, and that will lead to your rest. Has the Lord spoke to anybody today? Come on, stand upon your feet with me today.